Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode number nine, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, here with me to break down the upcoming enemy opposing quarterback, as we do every week here on this show, is quarterback one in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing, brother? I'm doing fantastic, my friend. Pleasure to be with you on this January 2nd, 2019. I actually got that right. I figured I was going to screw up the date. Did you know, Michael, that on this day in 1974, President Richard M. Nixon signs the Emergency Highway Energy Conservation Act into law, which set a new national maximum speed limit. This was done because of the oil embargo that was going on. OPEC was flexing its newfound economic muscle by quadrupling oil prices, placing a chokehold on America's oil-hungry consumers and industries. Therefore, <laughs> President Nixon signed this into law, a federal law lowering all national highway speeds to 55 miles per hour. The act was intended to force consumers to drive at speeds deemed more fuel efficient, curbing the U.S. appetite for foreign oil. And I know, Michael, you observe that 55 miles per hour posted limit every time you see it. For sure. I definitely don't go 5 to 20 over. We do not break any laws here at the QB Sco Show. That's your history reference. I've got my own reference here, and I think you're going to like this one, Mark. Oh, boy. My comp today, my historical comp for our topic today, which is Chicago Bears quarterback Mitch Trubisky, is Vlad the Impaler. Now, oh, boy. <laughs> Vlad the Impaler, the prince of Wallachia, Wallachia, however you want to say it, in the 15th century, known for his reputation for cruelty and obviously known for his preferred method of sending his enemies to death, impaling, a.k.a. shoving people onto wooden stakes until they expire. Vlad impaled everything. In fact, there's a story of him impaling a donkey. But anyway. You usually pay extra for that. Exactly. The donkey show, for sure. <laughs> but the, the, the reason... Uh, that I make this comp is because the time of death when you're impaled can either be instant or it can be prolonged. You can dull the stake and insert it along the length of the spine and it takes longer to die with that method. That's what Trubisky on this bear team represents to me. But the reason I use Vlad is because he was very good at prolonging that death. Sometimes it took as much as eight days. And that is what Matt Nagy has been able to do for this Bears team. So maybe the real comp for Vlad the Impaler is Matt Nagy. But either way, I think you get the point. Do you like that comp, Mark? I'm trying not to vomit. I Eight days. <laughs> Can you imagine going through that? My With a wooden goodness. stake up your spinal column. <laughs> like, oh my 
goodness. Happy New Year, friends. Welcome back. To the QB Sco yeah, Show. Start in 2019. Start in 2019 by turning your stomachs. So, Mark, obviously the main topic of this show, as I already alluded to, Mitchell Trubisky, every week here on the QB Sco Show, if you're new to the show, we break down the enemy opposing quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. So we're going to break down Mitchie Biscuits in depth. Now, I wanted to go back like we normally do, especially with young quarterbacks, to what they were as draft prospects, what they were answering the NFL. And I found an article of yours for InsideThePylon.com talking about Trubisky, the draft prospect. And you had actually mocked him and fit Trubisky with the Bears. But here's what you had to say about him. Quote, while he does not have a ton of starts to his credit, Trubisky checks many of the boxes that scouts and coaches look for in the position. He has the arm strength to execute the throws needed in the NFL. He has he is an athletic quarterback and he is able to speed up his processing when necessary particularly in the red zone, unquote. Two full regular seasons later, Mark, do you feel that what you wrote is an accurate summation of his game? I feel for the most part it is. The the speeding up the process, which he was able to do in the red zone at times, that has lagged behind a bit. And Matt Nagy deserves some credit for how he's been able to artificially speed that up for him, which we could get into. But part of the problems with Trubisky as a prospect were, you know, in the red zone, when the field is sort of constricted, you know, he was able to do some things quicker. And part of that was the offense that they were running at North Carolina. And Nagy has incorporated some of that stuff into what they're doing in Chicago. But sort of between the totals and sort of that open field area, there have still been times when he's the quarterback you saw at UNC here in Chicago when you would see some of that sort of, I don't want to say full on during the headlights, but you would see him slow down a bit and not speed up the process to where it needs to get to. And so – you know, the athleticism, it's still there. Some of the pocket toughness is there. The ability to sort of create some stuff off of structure outside of the pocket that we saw at UNC, that's definitely there. Nagy has used that as an offensive weapon this year. But the process and speed and the decision-making and the time from decision to throw, that's still lagging behind both in the red zone and all over the field, as I'm sure we're going to get to. Yeah, so year one to year two, we'll go from a draft prospect to what he's kind of become. He's up 7% in completion percentage year to year. His touchdown rate is up 3.4%. His yards per attempt is up nearly a full yard, up to 7.4. Quarterback rating up almost 20 points to 95.4. He's taking less sacks as well. He's added a couple of game-winning drives to his resume. Not to box score scout him, Mark, but... It looks like Mitchell has taken some strides from year one to year two. Why is that? A lot of it is to do with Matt Nagy and the scheme that he's implemented because, you know, this sort of West Coast with air raid type concepts that they've been running a little bit. That's given him some open throws, number one. Number two, Nagy has learned over the course of the season as a play caller. And again, let's preface this with the work that I do over at Pro Football Weekly, which is Pro Football Chicago dependent on how you kind of look at it as they are based in Chicago. They cover the Bears extensively. This year, one of my assignments was to break him down every single week. And so I've seen every decision, every read, every throw, everything he's done. And over the course of the season, Matt Nagy has done sort of a great job at identified when he needs to sort of calm him down and get Trubisky into the flow of a game. And what yeah. he's done in those moments, and a prime example is a drive that they had against the Rams when they get that strip sack safety of Goff. They got a short field as a result of the kickoff after the safety. They went basically three by one 
RPO backside reads to Allen Robinson, whether it was an out or slant all the way down the field Hmm. to get him some easier reads, easier decisions and get the ball out of his hands quicker. He does stuff like that to get Trubisky into the flow of the game. And the other thing he likes to do is he'll use his athleticism. They will call some designed, you know, zone reads using an arc block from Trey Burton to get him an extra blocker to the edge where if he decides to keep it, that's going to get him into the flow of the game because Trubisky himself has said, there are times when I'm too amped up. There are times when I'm too excited. And Nagy has done some things to sort of calm him down. And so that's been part of the reason for the success that he's had this year is Nagy sort of identifying as a head coach and play caller some of the times that he needs to sort of rein him in a bit and, and sort of get him into the flow of the game. So scheme has been a huge thing. I wrote this up for BleedingGreenNation.com, and I'll tell you, to your point, the amount of RPOs that the Bear use has got to rank towards the top of the league. They're a top five shotgun team in terms of frequency. They've got to be, there's got to be a, a top five RPO team stat out there for them. All of their runs, it seems, from shotgun is tagged with a bubble or a pop pass or a slant. And in my piece, I called it a choose your own adventure for the defense that is going to make whatever path you choose post snap a wrong one. So seeing as you've done a ton of work for this offense, the analytics tell me that Trubisky is much more efficient and effective when the ball is out quick under 2.5 seconds and RPOs really help him make those ready-made reads and throws easy. Yeah, I mean, they will do a ton in the RPO type game, a ton with both pre-snap reads and post-snap reads. They will do a ton with box count where all he has to do is count to six. You know, all he has to do is, you know, do we have enough guys to block? If so, we'll run it. If not, we'll throw it. You know, and they will do that a lot. They love that with, you know, the backside throws, um, whether it's a slant or an out or, you know, go, they'll go bubble to the bunch side, you know, if, if they don't like the run look that he's, he's up front. So that's a huge part of what they do. The other thing that I think Nagy deserves a ton of credit for is how he's tried to instill confidence in his quarterback. Because, you know, as a former quarterback myself, if you miss a throw on a particular play, there will be times and there were times in my career where that play was now out of the playbook. Forget it. We're not going to run it. I don't trust you. (laughs) Trubisky has missed some throws this year, particularly on throws to his left. I know we're going to talk about his mechanics, but particularly on, say, vertical four verts out of three by one, and you've got that bender on the right coming from right to left over the middle of the field. He has missed that throw at times. Against Miami, I think it was week four or week six, they had a third and long situation on their opening drive. He tried to hit Anthony Miller on that bended route coming from right, right to left. There was a bust coverage, and there was a coverage bust in the secondary. It was wide open, and he missed it, missed it badly. Fast forward to the fourth quarter. They have a third and lawn again, this time in the red zone. They need to score to tie the game late in the fourth quarter. Nagy goes back to the same exact play out of the same exact formation with the same exact personnel. This time Trubisky hits the bender to Anthony Miller. It's wide open again for a touchdown. He keeps coming back to designs that this kid has missed. And it's a way to sort of artificially build confidence in your quarterback. Instead of saying, look, I know you've missed this. We're not running it again. I know you've missed it. I'm going to call it again. I'm going to call it until you hit it. Why? Because I believe in you. That's been a huge, big, big boost to Trubisky this year is having a head coach and an offensive coordinator that's going to stay aggressive. He's going to stay believing in him, come back to these designs, and it's paid off for them this year. Yeah, and it helps keep that playbook nice and open to where you have different things to access. And to your point, I mean, week nine, he threw an interception where they had a three-by-one set. 
and they're going for that scissors concept, and he overthrows it for an interception. Week 10, they come out three by one, set him up with the RPOs like you talked about on that backside YI. So hit the, hit the speed out, hit the curl, and then they come out with a similar look, and he hits the same scissors concept that he had just thrown for an interception the week before, hits it for a big play against the Lions. And Mark, I know you've done a lot of work on those three by one sets, and the Eagles fans will be familiar with the way that they deploy these sets because they use a lot of the same formations too. And as I went through these sets, you see the RPOs like we talked about. You see the YISO stuff with Robinson or Trey Burton isolated on the backside. But one play that you highlighted from week 10 against the Lions really scares me. And it's a concept that we all love, forverts. And why that scares me is we know that Jim Schwartz, his defense uses middle of the field closed at the third highest rate in the NFL. That means you're going to get cover three zone and four verts can really create a conflict for that deep safety in cover three and what helps is if you have a quarterback that can manipulate defenders and hold safeties with his eyes and I thought in that game especially and you pointed this out in your article Trubisky did a fantastic job of that against the Lions as you laid out in your piece yeah I know exactly the play you're talking about you know and in that game against the Lions that was a game at Soldier Field he really showed you you know, some of the developmental process of a quarterback because he was much better with that eyes in that game than it was perhaps at any other point this season. And when you see that single high look as a quarterback and you know you've got four verts called, whether two by two or three by one, you know that you've got a chance here to sort of move that guy with your eyes. That's your job. I mean, look, I was not a good quarterback, <laughs> but I learned early in my career in college that, look, you see that design, you see that cover three. This is your chance to be an actor, to be creative, to move that guy and throw to the other one. It's You've got, whether it's two by two, you've got the two inside seam routes. They are going to bracket that free safety in the middle of the field. You look to one, you throw to the other. If it's three by one, it's the same basic design. You look at the bender, you move that guy with your eyes, and then you throw to the other seam route on the inside. And so, you know, when Trubisky was able to do that, that gave me sort of the sense of he's starting to learn, you know, how to move defenders with his eyes. And that's another sign that the game is speeding up for him a bit. When you see him start to make anticipation throws, and he's done a little bit of that this year, you see him start to move defenders with his eyes. That's a sign that the game's actually getting faster. So while he's not where he needs to be from a progression read standpoint, from a developmental standpoint, I, I said this before the year with our friend Lauren Cox on Locked On Bears. You know, people were expecting him to have sort of the Jared Goff type leap, you know, and that was mm. the roadmap that the Bears were hoping to follow. They get an offensive minded head coach in Matt Nagy. They were trying to have the next McVeigh Goff, Goff type situation. I said, look, that's not the leap you want. You're not going to get that. You're going to get Eli Manning year two. And if you look at the numbers between Trubisky and Manning in their rookie seasons, you know, the numbers were kind of similar. And then Manning in his second year, he had like 24 touchdowns and 12 picks. And the numbers are kind of similar. They're tracking with that. And I think that this was a season from Trubisky that Bears fans should be happy to see. You know, I don't think he regressed or anything like that. I think he took some developmental strides. I think we're seeing the developmental process begin. Next year is going to be better. He didn't have the golf type leap, but I don't think people were really expecting that. And just as a side note, you mentioned Eli Manning. I have checked. Eli Manning has not retired yet. So that is good news for Eagles fans. Well, we are, again, we're recording this January 2nd. Gettleman just had the big sit down. He said it was no holds barred. Yep. So that probably means that, look, we really screwed up last year and addressed in the uh, quarterback situation. So um, even though you were bad, we're going to need you to come back. 
And that's interesting, too, because now that Justin Herbert isn't coming out from Oregon, Dwayne Haskin looks like the consensus number one likely, and they might have to fight the Jaguars to trade up for him. What are you going to have to give up to go get him? And where are you going to have to go? You got to go to one. You probably got to go to one. And last year, to get to three from six, what did the Jets <laughs> have to give up? I think they had to give up, you know, they obviously had to flip their first round picks, and I think they had to give up two seconds. Yeah, two seconds, maybe a first. Like there, it's a lot, and especially yeah. to go and, from, from and that's <laughs> in a QB draft that had five right. guys in the first round. You're talking one, two, three other iffy guys. Supply and demand is going to be the name of the game. If and you the want Giants to go and don't a have a third round pick, so that's going to be an interesting situation that we're going to be tracking in the off season. But back to our man Mitchell Trubisky, we had to get in it, get that in there. You mentioned Eli, yeah. so Mark. Pro Football Focus charts deep ball accuracy for throws beyond 20 yards. In that category, Mitchell Trubisky ranks 25th, right behind Dak Prescott, uh, right around Cam Newton, who played a good deal this season with a bum shoulder, right around guys like Nick Mullins and Josh Allen. But not unlike Josh Allen, the Bears still take shots, and Trubisky is unafraid, regardless of the results, to push it downfield. And this could be a major factor in this game. They have the second highest deep ball frequency out of all quarterbacks in the league right now that have taken most of their snaps for the team. But they're also, uh, Trubisky has tied for third in deep ball interceptions. He had seven touchdowns, six interceptions when throwing the ball deep. This creates an opportunity for the Eagles defense who has been much better at creating turnovers on defense than they were before the bye. And you've seen these interceptions, and I watched all of them this morning, all 12 of them this morning. And what happens on these, in your opinion? What's the cause? Is it more about what the defense is doing, or are these mental or physical errors from Trubisky, or is the answer somewhere in between and a mix of all of it? I wrote over Pro Football Weekly that if I were Matt Nagy, whenever their season ends, whether it's this weekend, next weekend, beyond, I sit Mitchell Trubisky down when you have that end of season sort of exit type interview and I give him one assignment and that one assignment is this fix your left foot yep their success in this playoff run and beyond and Mitchell Trubisky's success or failure as a quarterback his failure to further develop may come down to if he can fix his left foot and this is a problem that plagued him back to his days at UNC if you watched him with the Tar Heels there were times when he opened up that left hip early stepped in the bucket on throws and it would cause him to miss thrown to all levels of the field, particularly deep. You look at his game against Stanford in the Sun Bowl. He had an interception that he threw on a crossing route from left to right that was wide open, and he just sailed it because he stepped in the bucket. You look at a lot of his interceptions this year, some of them on throws on that, even that bender route from right to left. There was one that sticks out of my mind against the Rams. Yeah. He steps in the bucket, and when you're a right-handed quarterback, you want your left step. We always say, you know, the, the common phrase is you step towards the target. Well, that's not technically right. You look at, right. you know, coaching clinics and things like that. You step slightly to the left of the target, you know, three to four inches off the target line because it allows your right hip to then sort of trail through, turn through, and you generate torque. You don't step towards the sideline. You don't step at a 90-degree angle away from your target. And sometimes that's what he does as a quarterback, and it leads to him you know, becoming an arm thrower, not getting the right sort of torque. You don't get the throw and chain, the throw and mechanism in sync, and targets are missed. Opportunities are missed in the passing game. So until he starts stepping where he needs to with that left foot, he's going to continue to have mistakes. Now, in their Week 16 game, he showed some progress with this. He had a throw to the left corner of the end zone on a corner route to Trey Burton on a Y-ISO formation with him and Cohen to the same side of the formation, which is their most dangerous formation. He drilled it in there. He was much more precise with that left foot. So it's still a work in progress. But until he gets 
you know, solidified with that left foot and where it needs to be, he's going to continue to struggle on these types of throws, particularly downfield. Just a just a quick note on that. You mentioned that being their most dangerous formation. When they have Tariq Cohen on one side, along with that YISO with Robinson or Burton, it's so dangerous, man. How is Trubisky at reading not only Cohen coming out of the backfield from that side, but also when they decide to line up in the line him up in the slot because he spends nineteen percent of his routes run in the slot. They'll also line him up wide. How is Trubisky at reading those those two man concepts because they create a lot of easy high low reads for Trubisky, right? Yeah, and the reason why they do that is it gets you to sort of artificially speed up the quarterback's decision-making process because particularly down in the red zone, when you know you're just reading like 20 yards of the field, mm. it's much easier for you as a quarterback. And, you know, why I think they're sort of why ISO with Burton Cohen to one side of the formation is so dangerous because you force the defense to make a decision. When you go why ISO, obviously the defense has to decide who are we putting out there? Are we going to leave a corner out there against a bigger body tight end? Mm. Okay, you can do that. Or, you know, you're going to put maybe a, a strong safety or even a linebacker out there. Okay, well, now you've got inside of that a tree cone, and you're going to put a corner on him. You know, so you force the defense to sort of decide what they're going to do. Maybe you do decide to say safety outside and then you slide a linebacker out against Tariq Cohen. Well, the Patriots tried that against the Bears back a couple weeks ago. I can tell you how that ended. It ended with me nearly having a heart attack. And so you don't want to do that, but because of the personnel they have and that formation, it forces the defense to make a decision. You're going to see that early and often from them, then why ISO particularly Burton outside, and it's going to force Schwartz to, you know, try to make some decisions. Are you going to stay in a sort of a base, you know, cover three type look? Okay, well, now you're still going to get Cohen perhaps on an option route against the linebacker in space. Yeah, and early scripting, I would say that the Bears are most definitely going to yeah. want to test and see right and away. That's another thing with them. They are so good First drive situations, whether it's the first drive of the game, first drive of the second half. Nagy has been so great with his pregame scripts, the scripted 15, you know, particularly coming out in the first quarter and sometimes coming out of the halftime break as well. You know, you look at even back in week one when they lost to the Packers, you look at how successful they were on that opening drive of the game. They were so good. They're just working their way downfield, getting the looks they want from a defense and exploiting them. You better hope that you make a couple of plays early in this game because otherwise, chances are they're going to end up with seven and you might be down seven nothing early. And if I can make a comparison and kind of uh, illuminate this this Cohen dynamic out of the backfield and, and what those two read sides look like. I mean, the Eagles saw it against the Saints, Alvin Kamara. Michael Thomas to the same side what do you do and the Eagles decided they're going to put bracket coverage on Michael Thomas and they bracket coverage like they went two doubles on the same play yeah. against Kamara and against Michael Thomas and as a result the other guys have to hold up and that's something that did not happen for the depleted Eagles secondary in that game and they have been playing better recently so that is definitely something to look for early in this game how Jim Schwartz deploys his coverage against those sets now Mark here is the big question for you. At Scouting Academy, we use three phrases when describing a starting quarterback. Starter that you win because of, starter that you win with, and starter that you win in spite of. I think the language is clear and distinct enough between the options for the gentle listeners to understand the differences between the three. Now, understand, and I want to make this very clear, this is not about what Trubisky could be. This is not a projection. I don't want you to project him moving forward. This is about who Trubisky is right now. When because of, when with, or when in spite of. What is Mitchell Trubisky right now, January 2nd, 2019? I think right now he's a quarterback that you win with. Okay. You know, I, I don't want to say that he's a quarterback you win in spite of because there are, I think that there are some things that 
he does as a quarterback that have gone beyond what Nagy does from a scheme perspective that have helped this team win. And, you know, I, one of the things I, I'd like to do a piece, you know, this offseason about things that I've learned about football this year, because there've been a ton, you know, personnel usage from an offensive perspective is one of those things. You look at how, you know, Matt Nagy sometimes uses personnel. You look at how teams like the Eagles use 12 personnel, you know, Frank Reich using 13 personnel. I think you use 12 and 13 personnel to throw, you use 11 personnel to run. That should be yep. sort of an offensive mantra going forward for teams. Another thing is quarterbacks need a trump card. You know, the good ones are going to have a trump card, something they can rely on when the going gets tough, whether it's, you know, decision-making from a Tom Brady, whether it's reading the defense and being a computer on the field from a Peyton Manning, whether it's just having onions, whether you're Brett Favre or even Nick Foles. I mean, you need a sort of trump card. For Trubisky, his athleticism has become a trump card where he can extend plays, he can do things with his legs, he can pressure a defense. If you play man coverage against him and he sees the backs of defenders, he's going to take off and run and he's going to burn you that way. Nagy has used his athleticism on some zone read type stuff like we've talked about. And so I think because of that, that bumps him from the quarterback you win in spite of to that quarterback you win with because he can do some things outside the structure of plays that help the offense stay on schedule, that give the offense some big plays. You look at some of the scrambles and runs that he had against New England in their game. Bill Belichick, Brian Flores, their linebackers coach and defensive play call, they will tell you, look, the kid gave us some fits in that game. So you, you've made your statement. Trubisky is a quarterback that you win with. Uh, from one playoff team to another, I want to congratulate the New England Patriots on making it back to the playoffs and also getting the bye. Which Thank you, everyone. We uh, we owe you. Maybe we're even, kind of, a little bit from, from, from last year. Yeah, it was I guess. big, the Eagles beating the Texans for you guys, right? You know, I said that on Locked On Patriots. I said, look, you know, that week 16, because you had, you know, Kansas City going into Seattle. You had Houston going into Philly. You know, if they were going to, if either of those teams were going to lose games, it was going to be in that week 16, and both of those teams lost. And so that what, that's what gave New England, you know, the chance to have that first round bye, which they badly need. Although, looking around, you know, various media outlets, it seems a lot of people are predicting New England as sort of one and done, which, okay, <laughs> I guess that's what we're going to say. All right. Yeah, we'll playoff time is their time to shine for sure. So good luck in the playoffs. Hopefully we can get a rematch between Doug Peterson and Bill Belichick. How sweet would that oh. be? How sweet? Not, not sweet for my liver. My liver took a pound. Especially since Nick Foles is your future uh, quarterback, right? Oh, my goodness. That would be such a fantastic, you know, life coming full circle when number nine suits up for <laughs> New England. That might be a pricey one, though. Might be a pricey Mark- one. It's gonna be Brett Rippin next year. Ooh. I just know it. I, dude, I like Rippin, yeah. man. Is he? It, what's what's I going do. on with? Do you know if Mick, uh, Trace McSorley, the Penn State quarterback? Do you know what's going on with this? I don't know. Apparently, he like destroyed his foot, but played through it. Like yeah. Trace McSorley is a fantastic college quarterback. When I was at Big Ten Media Days a couple of summers ago, I asked Tom Allen, you know, the head coach at Indiana, like, you know, because. They had actually done a pretty good job against Barkley and Shiseki and Trace McSorley. And I said, you know, what do you do against that that group of guys? And he basically said, you got to stop number nine. Now, he's the guy that makes that offense go. And an offense with Saquon Barkley, you got to stop <laughs> Trace McSorley. Kind of didn't make some, some, some sense to me. But, you know, that's what – and they had another great game against Barkley that year as well. And so, you know, McSorley is a fantastic college quarterback. You know, it, it's clear that he's one of those, like, grit, film rat, yeah. you know, whatever you want to say about him. As far as a pro prospect, I'm not exactly sold. I think his game is like tailor-made for the CFL. You could make a case that he could get onto a roster and stick as sort of the practice squad, third-string quarterback, you know, give the defense the kind of looks it might need to see from, you know, the Baker Mayfields right. of the world, for example. But, you know, to make this sort of he's the next Baker Mayfield, I'm not quite ready to go down that road. And to the point where we were sort of starting here, you know, if he is out for the Senior Bowl, 
guy to watch I think would be Brett Rippon. I think he would sort of be that next guy in line to get a spot in an invite down to Mobile. You know, he's a quarterback that for whatever reason isn't getting some of the buzz that you know, your Drew Locks and your Daniel Joneses and your Ryan Finleys and Trace McSolies are getting. But I watched this kid and, you know, if you believe in sort of the Parcells rules, and mm. I know that it's harder and harder to find a quarterback that checks those boxes with all these guys leaving early and one of them is, you know, senior graduate, whatever, he checks all those boxes. Yeah. And not that I'm a believer in those, but it's, it's something you see him doing a lot of the pre-snap read stuff. You see him making some time and throws, some rhythm throws, some anticipation throws. I think there's a home for ripping in the NFL, but maybe, you know, he's not the kind of quarterback that Ryan Finley is. I guess not. You know, I'm on that bandwagon. Me and you have been bugging Ooh, Jim Nagy, the senior choo, bowl director. Choo. We have been. <laughs> We're going to bug him in person down at Veets if we have to, to get him a late week invite. That'll be awesome. Yeah, that that will end well. <laughs> oh, oh, that's going to end great if we see yeah. <laughs> So hopefully we can avoid making too much of a fool of ourselves so that, you know, have we, we can ever avoided that? I maybe once or twice. There's levels yes, to there's it. There's levels to fullest. Yeah. No. <laughs> Mark, before we go, should I ask you your prediction for this game or should I just keep it moving? No, you can ask me a prediction. I'll say this as a Patriots fan, it's hard to bet against BDN in the playoffs. <laughs> okay. It's just hard. So, you know, look, this bears defense they're going to find some ways to get after Foles. Khalil Mack, obviously, we know what he can do. I think that if the Bears show Foles a couple of unexpected looks in the secondary, you might trick him into an interception or two. And look, let, let, let's put it this out there as well. There is a difference between regular season football and playoff football. And there are mm. times when good teams that make sort of a leap find themselves in a home game on wildcard weekend, and they just can't put it together. And a prime example of that was last year. You look at the Rams. Right. High-scored offense. They seem to really put it together, but they get into a playoff game at home against Atlanta, and it just doesn't come together for them, a team that was coming off a Super Bowl run of their own and a team that was sort of playoff tested. And so you could see a scenario where, look, the Eagles, they had to win. They already played three playoff games basically just to get in. You know, yeah. do or die type situations. They obviously had a Super Bowl run last year. They know what it takes to win in the playoffs. They know what it takes to play on the big stage. You might see a situation where, you know, the Bears come out. They're a little tight. They're a little tentative. Maybe they get away from some of their aggressiveness early. And the Eagles could sort of take advantage of that. So is it beyond the wild possibility that Philly goes and wins this, wins this game? Absolutely not. Yeah, and you see it a lot with these teams that are just coming up. The first year is kind of a learning experience yep. for them as they enter the playoffs and get that under the belt, get that experience. So you never know what can happen with a team like that. I've been very big on the Bears throughout this season, put them in my top five power rankings about a month and a half ago, even though I didn't fully trust Trubisky. I really like what they're doing there. I think they're an ascending team. I love their defense. I love their head coach. I really like the Bears this year. So if they beat the Eagles, they were just the better team. They played like the better team for most of the season. If the if the Eagles are able to put together a magical run, another one with this, I, I, the football doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me anymore. So there we are. I mean, we don't know anything. <laughs> we I mean, don't. I, I said I'm, I'm going to write a piece about what I learned this year, and the, the final thing is we don't know anything. I mean, think back to what we were saying back in August about you know who the best teams were going to be, what Patrick Mahomes, even people like me who are sort of bullish on Mahomes and his prospects, expected the guy to go out there and throw a ton of picks. So we know <laughs> nothing. You shouldn't listen to the show. What are you doing? Turn the show off now. 
Start it off now because we're going to get out of here. He's been Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. I've been Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. Look, we got a bunch of preview shows coming your way here on Bleeding Green Nation to get you prepared for this matchup with the Chicago Bears against the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs. This was just the first part, so plenty more to come. Keep it locked on here. This has been the QB's Go Show. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers.